welcome to the Petite Polymath. This is Britt Stone, your host, and today we're going to be talking about Zora Neale Hurston's Barracoon. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Um, so, in typical fashion, I'm usually reading three books at a time, and then something gets into rotation that is just too good for me to put down and I have to finish it, and something else is slower, and I just, like, I just can't get back to it and dedicate all my attention to it at the moment, so it goes to the back burner. And that's what happened for this episode, because I was going to talk about something else, but it was making my blood pressure go up too much to read it, so I figured, let's go to something a little bit easier, not really, and talk about Zora Neale Hurston's Barracoon. So, it is beautiful, and I, I actually really enjoy Zora Neale Hurston. I had to read their eyes were watching God, uh, my senior, I think my senior year of high school. Yes, I believe. Or maybe it was sophomore. Whichever year, I remember that we had to do um, a video of it. And our, our, my group had a people, people from my class. Um, and we, took, we did like a short film um, of a reenactment, which was really enjoyable. Uh, She's a wonderful author. I've always really um, appreciated her thoughts and was sad that she didn't really get her due. Um, so I was really excited to hear that she had done this really, you know, intense sociological study um, of this gentleman, Kasula, who is known by the name Cujo, which is his American name. He was a slave kidnapped from the west coast of Africa in the last slave ship to arrive to the States. After slavery, like the transatlantic slave trade was considered, considered illegal by the American government. So it was contraband in a legal way, even though it's morally contraband anyway, um, to do this. And he was, I think, 19 at the time that he was kidnapped and enslaved for five years. And he survives, you know, through, I think, to maybe the Great Depression, if I remember correctly, and tells his story to her. He ended up settling in Alabama in a town called Plateau that I think was called Africa Town prior to that. And she begins a relationship, a friendship with him, where um, over regular meetings and the bringing of gifts, watermelon, peaches, hams, all high-priority gifts, she, um, she has a bond with this older gentleman, and he tells her over the time his experiences. And he is so moved by her wanting to hear his story. I started this book a week ago. Um, I was sitting at a sushi bar by myself, treating myself to sushi. sushi I can't even speak today. Sushi. Shout out Uchiko in Austin. It's fantastic. And so I'm sitting there by myself, and the bartender comes over and asks me, like, oh, what are you reading? And I don't think he expected me to tell him what I ended up telling him. And he, his eyes got really big, like a kind of big white guy who I think probably, like, lifts weights. And he was like, wow, that's really heavy. I mean, like, I just got chills as you told me what the synopsis was. And I said, well, no kidding. You know, I, I started reading, and I usually skip prologues, um, but I didn't. And so... Alice Walker does the foreword, 
And I kind of slowly took my time reading the foreword, reading the introduction, and then reading about, you know, the intro, which is kind of the history of the Clotilda, which is the slave ship, the men who decided to go on this last voyage, you know, to make some quick money one last time um, before the war. And uh, I could not help but just be struck. I mean, sitting there in this restaurant on like a Saturday afternoon, I had to be careful because I was going to start crying. Um, You know, we all, not we all, but many of us have watched Roots or Amistad, um, and we're familiar, at least intellectually, with the ideas of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, I've had heated discussions with people usually not in person. I don't think you can have this conversation with the same vigor or at least the same sort of disconnectedness in person as you can over the internet, uh, comparing, you know, tribal warfare uh, amongst Africans, or, I mean, let's just be honest, tribal warfare existed throughout the whole world. Tribal warfare in Europe, tribal warfare in Asia, tribal warfare in the Americas. Like, this is not, you know... There is no like specificity to the idea of my group is better than yours, and if we beat you, you owe me. Like that is not new. That's as old as humans not having common language and being greedy. Which you know, if you're Christian, you you can have some time frame for that, right? Uh, if you're not, then it probably goes further back than even that. Um, but this is not new for humans. But the idea of, of your, not your own countrymen, but, you know, your neighboring countrymen being so greedy that they would, uh, you know, cause wars for the sake of having, you know, healthy bodies, healthy people that they could then trade for alcohol and guns to some people who don't look like them. And then for these people to be taken across a very large body of water to a place they've never been solely for the purpose of working for somebody else's gain for the foreseeable future and for the future of their children and their children's children. That's a whole new level of evil. That's a whole new level of slavery. I guess now, you know, I mean, and even still, when you think about human trafficking today that's happening, that's not even the framework for that. It's, I mean, it's heinous in its own right, but it's the, the using up of human capital and then just the, you know, the, the discarding of it. You know, we're not thinking about generations here. We're just thinking about the fact that we assume that there's so many people that when we've used someone up, we can just find someone else to fill their spot which that's even a new idea. That didn't even necessarily um, exist, at least at that time in the, in the 1800s, 1700s. And so, you know, I, I just started thinking about my own uh, family and the stories that are lost. I have no idea who came over to, you know, the islands that my mom is from, Uh, to the United States, where they came from, what their name was, who they were, how they felt, who owned them, what they told their children, and where that got lost. Did they tell their children anything? 
You know, do they just like bury it and just cope? And uh, Kosutla talks a lot about, um, you know, what it was like growing up in his village and coming of age. And, and apparently at 19, you were still a child. He had just had one initiation. He hadn't even gotten to being a full man yet so that he could take a wife. I think he, he had noticed a girl he wanted to be with, and, and so he was getting prepared for the initiations. He's very humble and honest about how he's, he's not the child of a king. He's not the child of a chief. He's the child of someone working for, for this person uh, and how, um, how they were peaceful people and, and the corruption and the evil of these neighboring uh, tribes um, and how that just became this insatiable beast. They just wanted more and more youths to give to the Europeans, to trade to the Europeans, probably also to protect themselves because, you know, once you've opened that can of worms, it's very hard to get the, the top back on. Uh, so getting other people from, the, from further inland kept the Dahomey safe because that was, that was the area. I think it was, it's modern Benin is, uh, is where this takes place. And, of course, we know that a large portion of, of the black Americans can trace their heritage to, to that area in Africa. But, you know, you can go all the way down into South Africa because of just the amount of, um, of reach that, this, that the trade had. Uh, I also found it very interesting. Kasula talks about um, what it was like being on the ship. And I love his, he's very frank, you know, he talks, there are good people, there are bad people. There are good men that are black or white, there are bad men that are black and white. And, you know, he was fortunate enough to have a master who was fairly decent, considering, you know, people are complicated, right? Um, you know, his shoes were wearing out when he got to, uh, I think after he'd been, you know, on the plantation for a, for a period of time, and he was a slave for five years. Uh, and his master said, well, you need new shoes. Took him to buy new shoes. Didn't whip um, people indiscriminately, unlike his brother, who apparently was a horrible person, which Kasula tells us. Uh, he talks about how his name was hard for them to pronounce, and so they ask him, what do you want to be called? And that's how he came up with Cujo. And so, you know, he has this American name, but um, it's not one that's necessarily thrust upon him. It's one he's, he's allowed to choose for himself. And so a kind of this spectrum of, of humanity like anyone else, you know, they're decent people and they're crummy people. And depending on who you are owned by, there are, you know, levels to how bad this, this is. You know, he doesn't mince the words that being a slave is horrible because you know you're working hard for nothing. You don't get anything. You have no hope of having a better life, you have no say in your own life, you have no agency. If you're tired, nobody cares. Um, and that it's not that you're treated necessarily poorly, it's that you're just treated like a cog in a wheel uh, without any recourse. And that you were born free and you knew you were free. Uh, he also talks about, um, you know, just the heaps of, of insult he gets from um, you know, the black Americans who've been here for a few generations and just how jerky they were. They were mean. They didn't help people assimilate. They made fun of their names, made fun of their accents, made fun of their culture. 
which clearly comes from a place of like not knowing your own culture, right? Not knowing who you are and probably feeling even more insecure having come face to face with somebody who is closer to your roots than you are. And then the war happens. And apparently, you know, the news that you're free doesn't get to everywhere all at once. Shocking no one. You know, this is the day before the internet and social media. So it takes a while for people to find out they're free. And then what do they do after they're free? You know, they don't have any money. They have a skill or they have some skills. Maybe some of them have learned to read or write. Uh, and so they make their own village. Um, Kosila talks about the cruelties of the law. You know, even in this time already, you know, he has, he marries a woman. He has, I think, five children. And uh, he witnesses police brutality. You know, a deputy shoots his son in cold blood. Um, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And yet, we want to say that systemic racism is not a thing. I just, I was just struck by how, how this man kept his humanity. And as he tells the story, you know, he'll tell parts of the story, he'll start crying, and then he'll shut down and tell Zora she has to go home and she can come back later. And she'll give him a week or two and she'll return and she has to kind of either just sit there in silence or cajole him to share his story again. Um, it's like therapy to him to have someone want to hear it. And she keeps his story in his voice in the vernacular that he spoke, which I think is so true to him and uh, not just true to him, but so true. It was... I'm sorry, I'm, I don't know why this hit so hard. It was a beautiful piece of work, and I highly encourage everyone to read it. I think this should be mandatory reading in schools. Um, I think that it, it very much captures the complexities of race relations in America. Maybe shines a little light on why we are where we are. You know, this is one person's perspective, but his snapshot already gives you a lot of foundational understanding for a lot of the ills that we're still dealing with. And we cannot deal with where we are now if we don't understand how we got there. So please go and read Barracoon. I highly encourage it. Cujo Lewis is a a sweet man, and my heart, I think, just hurts that he suffered so much injustice and still felt so alone at the end. So go read it. I'm going to take a break, slash blow my nose and wash my face, and then I will tell you something I'm enjoying. Okay, something I'm enjoying. I'm going to give you two things this week, because it was, I was hard-pressed to find anything the last time, if I remember correctly. Um, I binge-watched Dear White People, and it was hilarious. I saw the film that came out in 2014, Justin Simeon, you know, produced, directed. I'm very bad at keeping track of 
which thing, and that's a shame for me. I should look up definitions of what those words mean, and then I probably can keep better track. At any rate, Justin Simeon is the guy behind Dear White People, the film, and the series that is on Netflix. It made me want to go back to college. It made me want to hang out with more black people in college. And it was fantastic. I laughed. I might have teared up a little bit. I might have threw my hands up. Had a few times where I had to clutch my, my chest, the pearls, you know, around the neck. Because um, I'm a little bit of an old person. But it's really great. And uh, the soundtrack is fantastic. I think you can find it on Spotify. In addition, speaking of, I also saw the movie Sorry to Bother You last night. Boots Riley uh, is the um, director, and it was amazing. I did not know what to expect going in. I watched the trailer, but it just looked kind of surreal and confusing. Um, so that was all I really had. But um, I cannot speak, like, talk this movie up enough. It is so not anything I've ever seen before. It is very creative, full of commentary, really like highbrow stuff. Uh, so please go see it. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who's from um, Get Out and Atlanta, is in it. Tessa Thompson, the Valkyrie, um, also uh, Janelle Monet's current muse, I guess you could say. Um, is in it as well, and Terry Crews. We love, we love you, Terry. You are a wonderful man. Danny Glover. Um, so yeah, it's a great film. Um, go check it out. The Petite Polymath podcast of Brit Stones. I hope you enjoyed. Come back next time.